Hello and welcome to season two of Personal Threads, a podcast about the joy of dressing up. Brought to you by Royal Ascot, where we uncover how moments and memories from our past can inform and dictate our personal style. Each time, a new guest renowned for their chic and unique dress sense will take us on a journey throughout their life, stopping at key moments, memories, items or people who have influenced and sewn together our guests' very individual taste. I am your host, Scott Wimsett, and my career in TV and online has spanned almost 20 years as a fashion broadcaster and fashion film director. It gives me great pleasure to bring this second season of Personal Threads to you, and oh my goodness, have we got some fabulous guests for you all. Our guest today is an extremely special person within the art and fashion world, a movement within himself using his craft and intrinsic understanding of form and sculpture and working with his body as an object of moving art. He started his career as a photographer and within a year he had moved in front of the lens as a model, later emerging as a creative consultant for Merton Marcus, Stephen Klein, David LaChapelle and Ellen Von Amworth. 2016 saw our guest become the circuit ambassador for the Tate Museums, where he hosted his first two exhibitions at the Tate Modern featuring self-portraits. His first book, Be Yourself, Everyone Else is Taken, published in 2016, documented 32 figurative portraits and has won rave reviews the world over as a book that will stimulate your mind and your senses. He has been a long-time active campaigner for the recycling of clothes and is an ambassador of the climate change charity Cool Earth and Greenpeace and has worked closely with Dame Vivian Westwood on her climate revolution projects. Since 2018, he has been a global ambassador for Graduate Fashion Week, a position in Accolade which reflects the six years he spent as creative director of luxury women's wear brand Sarapol, dressing Mariah Carey, Cara Delevingne and Nicki Minaj. In 2021, he was asked to walk the runway for the Queen Elizabeth II Platinum Party at Buckingham Palace, which was viewed by 13.3 million people worldwide. And most recently, his show, An Evolution of his book, Be Yourself, Everyone Else is Already Taken, was exhibited at the Victoria and Albert Museum here in London. He has been named by Vogue as England's most eccentric dresser, and come on, he has even made a cameo appearance in Absolutely Fabulous. He is, of course, the one and only Daniel Lismore. How are you, my love? I'm very well. Thank you for having me and um, thank you for the lovely introduction. Absolutely. All those accolades are all yours. (laughs) It's so wonderful to have you with us on Personal Threads. I'm going to jump straight in with your journey into what has become your very particular message. Using yourself as a sculpture, I would imagine, is pretty different. So can you just tell us a little bit about your early understanding that perhaps the way that you found clothes and fabrics and texture was in fact how you knew it was going to become your most powerful means of expression and truly impact modern culture and be so gratefully received by the art, film, fashion and music world. Well, when I was a child, I lived in a big old house. It was falling down and my dad kind of reconstructed the whole place and he was an auctioneer and he would bring all these beautiful pieces of fabric home curtains. So I guess looking at these details of all these ornaments and fabrics and all these beautiful things that he would bring home and then he would bring things for me and my brother to dress up in. We had a dressing up box. And what sort of age is this? Um, We were babies. And I had a purple wig and it was inspired by, like I always thought, Dame Edna. And when I was, (laughs) you know, that was like an inspiration on the television, which I I didn't know what she was. And and I was so fascinated by her. And then looking at kings and queens in 
history books thinking why don't we dress like that anymore like why why are all those people (laughs) so that was the earliest they're the earliest memories i have so was that sort of character playing? You would sort of emulate a, a king and a queen and pl- drop into character and then have all the regalia to sort of play out those scenarios? Yeah, I think it was just very normal. And I think that's what kids do. And, you know, I, I don't think that part of that part left me. What is your earliest style memory? Now, I, I have met your mother. And one of the most striking things is that I can literally see that her eyes are full of sparkle and admiration for this incredible vision in front of her, who she calls her son. Your mum looks so proud of you. So can we talk to you about that very special relationship that you have with your mother and, and when perhaps she saw you fully um, and, and when you really became out, and I don't mean necessarily in a gay way, but I mean as a, a sort of living art form. I discovered her makeup when I was around 14 <laughs> and it was orange and it was Elizabeth Arden. And I remember putting on the foundation just to pretend to cover my spots. And then the eyeliner came and then I said I was a goth. So I had to hang out with the goths. So, yeah, I'd start dyeing my hair blonde and blue and green. And I was very skinny back then and I could wear anything. And I, I kind of like the idea of showing my body, which is the complete opposite today. Wow. Um, so I'd rip, like, you know, the area around, like, my nipples or my crotch or my wow. knees. or. Okay. Um, so that was at the beginning. And I was very much inspired by the punk movement. Um, I didn't really know much about punk, but I'd seen, I was obsessed with photography. My mum is amazing. She's mm-hmm. been she so, she's been there for me for forever. And she, come, she comes up with the best ideas when I began modelling at the age of 17, she, they told me they were going to send me to Topman um, to go and get a new wardrobe because I couldn't go like that to a model casting. And back <laughs> then you couldn't come out and you couldn't be yourself. You know, the queer community wouldn't hire the queer models. And it was a very... I remember walking down um, Oxford Street one day and my six friends, who are still friends today, we all came out to each other, but we were terrified. Wow. Um, so it was very different then. That's such a special moment, like yeah. everyone coming out, because you'd yeah. sort of found each other in different yeah. ways, and in a I... creative way, and then you <laughs> yeah. all kind of came out together. Mm-hmm. And when I said, oh, I am too, and they're like, yeah, we know. Um, <laughs> we got that one. But my mum said, okay, well, if you don't want to go to Top Man, then what about dressing like Oscar Wilde? You like Oscar Wilde? Brilliant. And I was like, okay. Um, so... I would dress up like Oscar Wilde and I remember going to a a party and Stephen Fry was there and he said, wow, you look just like Oscar. You're a genius. Wow. I said, my mum dressed me like this. She's like, your mother's a genius. Um, And how, how, it sounds like you were already on the scene by that point. I was. Age 17, I I moved to London and I was thrown in the middle of it, you know, like Edward Enneville and Pat McGrath and Naomi, they were all there. Like, I remember being in the room with them. Like, and was the sort of form quite as established as it is now? Were you already kind of playing around with silhouette and shape and lots of different fabrics? Or was it very much this sort of pared down version? I had started to play. So Star Trek was my biggest inspiration uh, mm. when I was younger. And I would lock myself in, in my bedroom and play with the figures. And if I didn't have them, I'd go to the brook in, you know, in the park and take the clay out and create them. And then I, that would start going on my face. And that's I think that's when like the change happened. And it, it was like, this is interesting. I like this. I remember 
one day putting it on my dad's face. Like I wanted to kind of experiment on my dad and, and he let me do it. So that was You've got the best quite parents, fun. by the way. Yeah. They just sound so epic. I mean, I guess as well, just one thing to talk about is those really early times before you kind of stepping into town and sort of starting to go on the party circuit and starting to really understand it. You know, other collateral that's around when we're growing up really does leave an impression on us about what is good style. I know for myself, I sort of mentioned there's sort of album covers and there's bands like Kajagoogoo and I was really into Elvis and a bit of Madonna, you know. What was around you at that time from a visual perspective in regards to maybe pop acts or actors or movies or literature? I mean, you've mentioned Oscar Wilde. I think Bjork was a huge inspiration, seeing her, Lenny Kravitz, um, Michael Jackson, who years later I actually met on Old Compton Street. He was going into Mary Poppins. And met the, Michael Jackson on yeah, Old Compton Street. <laughs> yeah, the car stopped right in front of me. And I was with my friend just having a chat and I had my camera. I was a photographer back then. and uh, The door opened and the guards got out with the kids and they'd gone in. And he just stayed there and he was I think he was waiting for the paparazzi to come. And I was like, hi. And he was like, hi. And I said, I love you. And he said, I love you too. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Also, the other part that I'm interested from that, that early time, sort of dressing up and putting ourselves into a, you know, quite a vulnerable position when we're actually really experimenting with style and personal expression. Like, how was that for you? Because obviously it wasn't the most normal attire yeah. that your, your peers were seeing mm-hmm. amongst the, you know, friends at school, etc. So... What was that initial reaction like? How did it how did it sit with you? Well, I think the first negative reaction was from my dog. <laughs> Dogs hate me like, still today. Doing? And my friends don't believe me. I'm like, the dog is going to attack me. And they're like, no, it's fine. I'm like, trust me. So uh, she prepared me for the rest of my life, I think. Um, and I remember one day getting on a bus in Coventry and this, I was dressed in like a, my school uniform, like in a boy's mm-hmm. school uniform. Mm-hmm. And this man said, Okay, young lady, you go you go before me. And I'm just like, what? Wow. I started to get people respond to me from the beginning. I just, I still sometimes, I'm, I know I look like this, but I'm like, what, what, are, they, what are they looking at? <laughs> because know? they're supposed to you when you look in the mirror, this is you. It's yeah. the most normal reflection to exactly. receive back. Yeah. But it's this, what I'm interested as well, from a very young age, what I like, especially with a sort of nod to bullying, and especially from an LGBTQ perspective, it's just this sort of inner grit yeah. and understanding that it is so important to not block out. You can sort of receive that response but also be really steadfast and strong in your own person and you have that that you represent that when you walk into a party it's a really tangible thing so how what are your disciplines to sort of keep that there because i think it's very inspiring for listeners well years later i've figured out there's a, a few reasons why people respond first maybe they hate themselves second uh, lack of information third maybe they're stupid um <laughs> so, and i don't like to say that very often i want to give people the satisfaction of um and then there's like learnt bigotry and and other things but i was bullied from a very very young age and i had hell at school like i had hell in my village most of the kids were fine but there were a few families that really went above really horrible horrible really uncomfortable yeah and i was 17 and I said, and I started crying and I said, mum, I want to leave. And she said, oh, good. Ah! Like, you know, go and do what you want to do. Yeah. And and she was very supportive. And she she always asked, are you sure? 
like mm-hmm. just to make sure I was okay you know mm-hmm. are you sure you you know what you're doing and I'm mm-hmm. like yep um I had no idea what I was doing but I'm so glad I had no idea because I I love to explore the world and people and 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 that's what drew, drew me to lunch like I'm fascinated by um extraordinary human beings how they dress how what they wear like and and when I got to London I found the club scene and yeah um, some of these really amazing characters yeah so and that must have been a really great playground yeah. to really enable you to feel that sense of confidence and freedom within an environment that was very accepting. Yeah, no, there was nothing in Coventry for me, like literally nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, years later, I'm so honoured to have brought all my 21 years of work back to the city last year. Mm. And it was such a a moment for me to kind of, all my, my t- teachers, my friends from school, I didn't have many friends, but a few of them, even the bullies turned up. Really? And that's the oh, interesting Daniel, I thing. I love that. Visual. And they, they all said sorry. Oh. Um, and I think if you bullied someone, you should say sorry to them. It doesn't matter what part of your life you're in. You, you know, it's really damaging. Like That's but, so poignant, mm-hmm. bringing your whole works back to the hometown where it all started and then to have that healing of apology from people at school that might have actually given you a hard time but then see your star rise and just where you've got to. One of them said I was gay and I was unhappy with myself so I bullied you because I couldn't be myself. And that's, you know, and, and, and sadly that happens. It does, unfortunately. So I'm just interested in that transition bit. So when it moves from being a kid who's exposed, as you say, to all these wonderful antiques and artifacts and sort of pulling fabric around your body and looking in the mirror and sort of creating this vision that made sense to you to actually then being photographed by some of the world's best photographers as an art form and having your own exhibitions at the VNA. I mean, you know, what did that actual transition feel when you do that, the joy of reflection, I guess? When I got to London, I came first with a, a photography group and I had this amazing photography teacher her name was Uli Ull she's still around she's amazing I didn't have the the grades to get on the course and I remember going there with my mum sitting down and she said okay well I'll take you on and she gave me the so she really said you should look up this photographer you should look up this and and at the I went to the photographer's gallery and back then it was in um, uh, Covent Garden and I picked up a book by Stephen Arnold and he was a queer photographer and I thought wow, this is the world I want to live in and I want to create. And I was so inspired by him. I remember we did a a shoot with Pamela Anderson and Sergei Palunin and it was called The Bad Boy in the Ballet. I remember being on set and I wasn't ready for a picture of me to be taken. And David was like, go and take all your makeup off. And I'm like, oh no, (laughs) go and take all these clothes off. I'm like, no way. He's like, go and take your shoes off, go and take everything off. Like, And I'm like... I can't believe he's doing this to me. Like, this is a nightmare. Um, I wasn't performing and because I was so preoccupied. Mm-hmm. And he started shouting, but in the best possible way, I came to life. I burst out in some kind of anger and he got this picture. And, and I, I remember thinking wow. as that was happening, wow, it's taken a long time to get here, but it was worth it, you know? Wow, I so, love that. I love that story. People often often ask you this question, I'm sure, but can you define your style? Because when I'm sat here looking at you, it is visually one of the most beautiful things. There's so much that your eye travels to. Everything's got a narrative. Yeah, talk to us about how you describe self. I keep thinking about this because I've been asked this question a few times and I never really answer it the way I want to. But... It's a mirror of the world that I see, literally a mirror. Like 
everything I see, I kind of collect. It becomes part of me. It's like, do you know those insects that start to add jewellery to them? I'm exactly like that. <laughs> but also, I'm like an ostrich, you know. I don't want people to stare at me. And I know that sounds really crazy looking like this. But it's like when an ostrich has all these amazing plumes and it puts its head underground mm. thinks no one can see it. That is, that's me. I wonder what's going on there. Because I, I suppose possibly as well, in the environment that you're in sort of from from a fashion and an art perspective you it's definitely a community that's deeply accepting and so I suppose after time they're not looking quite in the same way as somebody just on the street would be looking mm. so it probably becomes a very comfortable territory for you. I love Gilbert and George and they were the first living sculpture and, and they opened my show in Coventry and they said to me it's very important that you turn up to all of our events you are the extension of what we do and that was really amazing to hear from them uh, and I thought well I am living sculpture and it's I've got to face that like this it is actually my life and I've been saying it for so many years and it made sense to me but when they said that to me I was like yeah like I can't escape this now it's so living sculpture and a mirror of the world that I see so I guess you know, when work and profile sort of blend together, when you look at philanthropic and environmental and causes that are very sort of deep to you and mean so much, you've you've met and worked with some incredible global forces in, in that way. So I'm just interested about sort of who has been sort of the most influential and stylish in that way of marrying together our two worlds, but the most made the most impact to you, Daniel. The people that made most impact was, well, Vivian Westwood. I worked with her for 13 years um, on and off, and she became a really good friend of mine. I stood up at the Rainbow Honours Awards the other day, and I was presenting an award to Sam Smith, and they weren't there. So I thought, what would Vivian do? Because there's no speech. So I hijacked the microphone, and I more or less told the queer community that we're all talking about unity but there's nothing that's holding us together and there's no decentralised organisation that um, in this country where we can immediately react to something political against us together, every NGO, every Pride, mm. everyone. So that was the idea I had and, and I thought, I think she would have been proud with, with at she that moment. She would have loved that, yeah. When she sort of would speak to you about your style. Yeah. Obviously, she would use you within shows. And, yeah. you know, I've seen you on, on runways with Vivian doing that big kind of finale moment. Mm -hmm. So it's clearly that you're, you represent so much of what she stood for in that, in that visual kind of fashion runway moment as well. So what, was she, what were the conversations? What would she say to you about what you stood for? I picked her up one day. She said, what are you working on? I started showing her these portraits that no one still to this day have not seen. And I made a lot of them. It's all my archive on a plain background. Vivian said, that's not art. And I was like, oh my God. And I, I cancelled the show. Like I literally called the person up and I said, I don't want to do this show. <laughs> wow. And then just before she passed, I spent the day with her and a few other friends and it was one of the most beautiful days I've ever had, generally, in my life. And she said, I was wrong. <laughs> it is art. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, like, oh, But she wow. meant so much to me, you know. She was like, when when she passed away, my mum was like, she's like your other mother. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. It's like, kind of weird. Sorry, I'm tearing up. <laughs> I know, darling. And it is emotional to be in that yeah. moment as well, because yeah. she was such a big part of your life. And yeah. we all loved her yeah. very, very much. We still do, very yeah. much. But her and Pamela Anderson as well, and I speak to Pamela all the time, and she is one of the kindest, most beautiful people. And I... I love the Netflix series, but who she is really 
it captures a side of her, but she's more amazing than that show. And what is there a sort of similarity, I guess, in the way of conviction or what they stand for in the way of Pamela and Vivian, these sort of women that have gravitated to you in your life? It's part of your life journey and they've made such an impact. Like, Would you see that there are similarities in their sort of strengths? I mean, they are, they're fearless and yeah. uh, they just, they're just, amazing they're free thinkers and they think in like such an amazing way and they, they also use their image to change things and i i learned that i could do that mm. isabella blow kind of really shaped me when i was younger i went mm. to take photos for her and i met her and she she walked into the room and she said you're the most interesting thing in here and i was terrified of her and we <laughs> she became, had that impact sometimes yeah, didn't she and we became friends and she would invite me over the house she said you should always wear red lipstick and, and i always think those about accents her. And like signature looks where you've got the red lip and yeah. you've been disciplined with that and you've kept that and it's you know when people are re recreating you in an art form you mm -hmm. know that is something that signature red lip with all of the other theater it's sort of it's, it's part of your dna exactly and everyone thought i got it from Lee Bowery but I met Anna Nicole Smith and it kind of came from her so no one knows that <laughs> I love it talking about like obviously the journey that you've had and really excited about some of these landmark stylish moments you know when you kind of sit there and just go everything is falling into place this is one of the most sort of impressive visual stylish moments of my life what would it be I think <laughs> I think it was turning up to the Brit Awards. My friend, Raphael Castoriano, he's an art curator and he works with, usually works with sweets and turns it into art. Mm -hmm. And we did this tongue portrait where I would go around the art world and stick my face on everyone's tongue. We, we went for the top 200 people and they all did it. So he said, let's go to the Brit Awards. Let's get MasterCard to sponsor you. Let's like <laughs> turn it into a whole thing. And I was like, okay. And he was like, tell me how you want to look with a budget, with a big budget. And I was like this. So I went in the MasterCard colours just because they paid for it. Feedback clients happy, yeah. Yeah, um, but I didn't mind that because they're, they're kind of an interesting colour thing. And I turned up and I was working with Paper Magazine intro, uh, interviewing everyone. And I just wore this giant thing, which like giant dome. And I'd worn them before because I had we made loads for Azealia Banks and she never picked them up. And I ended up going to the MTV Awards with this giant dome around my neck. And you could see me in the audience like like a satellite of love. In, wow. And, and so I wanted a bigger one with another one inside with another thing. And and I think that every single person saw it. And they were, I think it was just like, it. I thought, this is pop-up. Like, yeah. And it, that was something that changed things in my head. Like, mm -hmm. I'm living a pop, like as a piece of pop-up mm -hmm. right now. And, and this is fascinating. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm ob obsessed with how people respond to me. And everyone's like, you're the performance. And I'm like, no, actually, I'm just standing here or sitting here. You're performing for me. I don't do, I, I don't that. have really to do anything. And and the craziest things happen. You, you know, like, like I mean, I've seen a car crash. I've seen, um, <laughs> I mean, the worst thing is that I got stabbed, which is, uh, oh, you gosh. know, a bit drastic. People have said, oh, come to my palace like let me put you on a flight like come here and do this and, and you never know what's going to happen and and just by being sometimes I've actually helped change things which I'm really proud about like you know I've, I've been to places where I'm completely illegal and managed to actually um, create dialogue for other things to happen and it's some people can't see th that it's a positive 
but I can see that and and I think it's when when I am in places where when where I'm illegal it's not everyone in that country that is against my existence mm-hmm. it's only a very small amount mm-hmm. like or uh, up to half and everyone else wants a better better way of living mm-hmm. so it, it's just you very interesting on that. yeah just talk to me about that getting ready process the body is the best canvas you can have mm-hmm. for any artist mm-hmm. and you kind of use color texture shape imagine it's like sculpture and then you start adding details and um, makeup. So it's a very organic thing. Yeah. It's all kind of building as you go and then just it, you're working to a mirror. Yeah, 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 literally. And when I say it's a mirror of the world, like I'm pulling in all these elements, looking in the mirror, and it's like this this moment of creating a sculpture. or a, It's like how yeah. you would a painting or a self-portrait. And how long would it take? I mean, obviously it varies. but No one believes me, and it, it took... It took me 20 minutes or less this morning. It takes me a lot longer to look normal. Right, my hair's okay. past my waist. and Your beautiful hair. Uh, that, when I have to look like that, or when I choose to look like that, it's it takes me a good 45, 50 minutes. Creating this, this vision, often, as we've discussed, can have a favourable or less favourable mm-hmm. impact. Um, and I think we, we spoke a little bit earlier about this sense of fear that happens within people this sense that it's overwhelming it's belittling it's you know whatever's going on in their personal narrative but it can end up being reflected at you in this sense of um i guess just people kind of rejecting you usually i say i'm not bothered by it but i've been going to therapy recently for a few things and it's kind of come up but i think i was hurt more when i was younger Mm -hmm. and as you get older you kind of now I look at people and go, when they say something really negative, I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. I'm like, I wonder where that came from. I'm like, which box did that come from? Because mm-hmm. you can put that hatred in a box. Mm-hmm. like. And then sometimes I've actually asked people like, oh, why do you think that? Like, what is, what makes you think that? What kind of reactions do you get? Because obviously they're not expecting you to They respond. don't. No one ever expects that. So there was one guy that came to my show in Reykjavik and this guy, American guy, came in. He didn't look at me. He walked around. He was down there for two hours, came back up and he said, once you've seen one, you've seen them all. And I'm like, oh, my God, can I talk to you, please? I'm wow. so fat. You know, there's 32. At this point, there was 32 sculptures with seven, 6,000 objects in. And I was like, how could anyone think that? Like, they, I mean, I see what he means. but I, So I ended up, I said, could I take you to the bar and can we have a drink? And he said, oh, sure. <laughs> so he sits me down and very much like the person that told me that they were gay, told me that he was gay. And he, he, um, he it was his frustration. He never told anyone he had a wife. He, he was very unhappy with his life. And he said, I, I couldn't take it. You know, and and many people are like that. Couldn't take it seeing the world. Yeah, he couldn't take my existence. Like, wow. Yeah. Someone once told me, it's not about you, it's about them, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it is. So um, I don't know. It's it's really interesting that I have to deal with everyone else's rubbish. <laughs> and I, I just, I, th- I would like to say to people that, you know, if you're thinking of being a bit bitchy or you're, um, you know, you're going to judge someone by how, Think about yourself first. Judge yourself and then come back to me. Mm -hmm. Sustainability, Mm -hmm. obviously, is a huge topic. And obviously our theme for Royal Ascot is sustainability and encouraging people to dress with vintage and do pre-loved and do kind of the hiring and rental sort of sector, which I know is really, really taking off. Mm -hmm. And I'd imagine that 
really you're such a perfect vehicle to articulate clearly about how to repurpose and how to have that sense of theatre and, and, and freedom within sort of, you know, pre-loved pieces. Um, thank you. Well, I'm no angel in the fact that I have a lot of things. I don't always buy these things. Things are given to me. I, mm. I find things. I create things like things that I like using things that have existed for a long time. So I worked for Vivian for 13 years and we've sat in the room with scientists and people that, you know, the world's experts of what's going to happen. And these people have the data. I mean, NASA, for example, Vivian took this um, piece and made it into her artwork. And it said, once we go up by, I think it's 1.5 degrees, mm -hmm. which we thought would happen in 50 years back then. Mm -hmm. Actually, they said it could happen this year. Yeah. Um, and everywhere under Paris could be uninhabitable. We have no time and mass consumption and, I don't know, is we're in so much trouble. So I guess when you look, just a, a, a quick mention to your sort of look to the future of fashion, because I do believe the industry is really listening. Whether it's happening fast enough yeah. is another question. You know, five years ago, there wasn't anybody who would be able to sort of talk from a sustainability perspective. Mm -hmm. Now every single brand yeah. has got an expert. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of greenwashing going on. Mm -hmm. But I remember talking about this on panel talks and everyone laughed. Like, you know, everyone laughed. And I remember Jodie Harsh, the drag queen, like she once said... In 10 years to come, this was a long time ago, people will go, you and Vivian were right. You were all right, you know, and, and we are right. When you're stepping out, do you have a character that you embody or is the art form, Daniel Lismore, actually you? I'm, I'm me. It's, it's strange. My friends come to me uh, who are actors and they ask me the same question. And I'm like, this is actually how I live. This is who I am. If I wear this or whatever... I'm not going to change. Like, I don't change. There are points when I, if like, I had like a, a drunk panda and an Anna Nicole Smith Patsy Stone drag look, and <laughs> I've had like characters throughout the years if I really wanted to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother said to me, I think you've acted your whole life. And I'm like, Mum, don't say that. Like, um, <laughs> this is just me. This is me. Now, with Ascot being sort of around the corner, can we hope to see you at Royal Ascot this year? I'm obsessed with Royal Ascot and I, I look at the hats and the, um, you know, Ladies Day and I'm, I'm so obsessed. And I remember going, I, I've only been once. My friend had a giant peacock on her head and... How did you dress? I had were to you, wear you know, the, the hat and everything. You were doing the top yeah, hat? Yeah, yeah. Because actually this year, you know, just in the way that there's so much creativity within the dress code now, mm -hmm. we'd absolutely love you to come. Yeah. As Daniel, the piece of art. I would love that. And it was so different back then. It was a long time ago. I, I do go to the Kentucky Derby every year. And every time I go, I go full on. Um, I also had a run-in with Donald Trump there. and I, I, I <laughs> Talk to us about your run-in with Donald well, Trump. Well, I was above him and he was below me. And he looked up and he gave me like a smile of like he was trying to get my kind of, you know. Get a response. To, to like him. Right. And I thought, next time you look up, and this is really, I'm a rebel, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm an activist and I i can't stand what some people do to humanity and it's really sad. So I had my camera ready and the next time he looked up, I, I had to have a big jade on my middle finger and I stuck it up at him. Wow. And um, 
he and that you i got pictures of his face just responding to it and i thought that felt so good i bet thank um, you for but, doing that for but i wouldn't i wouldn't do that to many other people no i'm you sure know, like that's i'm not so don't worry about me coming to royal Ascot. no gosh we I, honestly <laughs> we'd be so thrilled to have you there that would be a real highlight a, a nod to ask it as well is this sort of sense of style advice mm-hmm. and that confidence because some of our listeners listening you know would be doing occasion wear and that sense of really stepping out with a look that's probably pushing you know something that they you know really feel so fabulous in but have they quite got the nerves to just step out in that what what would you say to people who are sort of sitting on the fence a little bit i mean there's a lot of conformity around formal wear and i I think when people add small details and just you know create their own look for the day like own it you know own it rather than let the outfit own you yes and and i think that's the most important thing when i've been doing some reading around all of your amazing journey just i saw that quite often you mention how you feel that you're here to help people and i would just love to know a little bit more about that sort of sense of duty when i was around 19 I went to live with the Maasai in Samburu in Kenya and I worked really? with yeah wow and I went to work with some charities and I realized that my life was so privileged uh, I uh, I used the word lucky back then and I fell in love with Kenya and I thought I'll go back there and years later I did and I th- I felt like I left my heart there and I remember flying away well, I got really ill so I had to come back and I remember looking at the campfires and I thought I'm going to do my best because things need to be done you know and I, I I've still got my notebook and I put it in an exhibition recently of all the ideas I had at the the time and that was me beginning to be an activist and to think about other people you're out making every moment matter I always see you having great conversations making plans like it's work yeah it's you know it's you being in amongst those people that can actually shift things and using yourself as a vehicle you know it's a beacon of hope for everybody yeah and my work and my work is my life and and my life is my work and i i can't stress enough like stick with your vision and be you and i know it's so cliche to to say that but i was thinking about it as well that you know everyone says be yourself but also partner up you know yeah um i love partnering up with so many different people and i I think it's great when there's two entities together even more and, and you can make such a difference. Iconography and worship is when you sort of read reviews, it's quite often what the sort of wording that people associate you associate with you. Um, do you have a faith and are you sort of like your own leader? I was an altar boy and I was obsessed with the stories around people. And that's what really got me fascinated in people's whole lives. You know, I, I would work at all the funerals, like I, just to listen to the whole life of that person, what they did at the beginning, how they got there. And that really inspired me. Mm-hmm. And then at school, I looked at all the faiths, everything that I could find. And I would create these um, sculptures of mixed faith. And sadly, when I was stabbed, I, I I was pronounced dead for like a minute. And I went into this white space. It's very cliche. And it was like my mum, dad and brother were there. My sister wasn't there. And I noticed she wasn't there. And it was really annoying. And at this point, I was like, I didn't say goodbye. But coming back, being resuscitated, I was like, I just went somewhere. And I, apparently it's DMT in your brain and, and chemi- override of chemicals and things. And I, and I was really disappointed because I thought, well, if that's what people think heaven is, 
mm. you know and i saw people that exist that are alive mm. I, I i i never believed in anything after that mm-hmm. so sad but but i i'm so obsessed with space and so i managed to i interviewed the head of seti searching for extraterrestrial intelligence and it's always been my fascination since Star Trek. Mm. And he thinks in like nine, ten years, we will be able to discover what life is and then be able to detect it like they do in Star Trek. They think there's, there's phosphine in, on Venus and they think there could be microbial life in the clouds there and because it's only produced by penguins on this planet. So it's a life form. Um, so that is, that's where my mind is going when it comes to anything like that. And I, I'm just space dust, like... Gorgeous space stuff, radical <laughs> thinking. I love it. So, I mean, odd question. But what would you be doing if you weren't Daniel Lismore? Does it ever sort of go through your mind? You're, you know, you're about to speak on stage and you just think, can I imagine myself being anything other than who I actually am? Um, to be honest, I couldn't exist any other way. Um, I couldn't have. I tried um, at certain points in my life. I tried to do things and I had breakdowns. And I, some people just cannot exist in certain ways especially artists and people that uh, their minds are somewhere else and i don't think i i you know i i said yesterday and it's really kind of a dark thing to say but i'd rather not be here than not be myself you know well, we need you to be yourself that, and that's amazing. why i am myself and i love life so <laughs> yes we love it okay some quick fire questions mm-hmm. gonna rattle through two or three here so velvet or silk silk gold or silver gold Nice, speedy. Met Gala or Fashion Awards? <laughs> well, I haven't been invited to the Met Gala. I'd like to the, go. We need the invite, please. Yeah. Okay, so where are we going with? Fashion Awards? Yeah. Or Met Gala? Fashion Awards. Yeah, cool. We love the Fashion Awards. Uh, Party Wild or one-to-one? One-to-one. Vintage or recycled fabric? Uh, vintage. Make yourself heard or make yourself seen? Both. <laughs> <laughs> I have to have both to make the full impact. Yeah. Okay. And gin fizz or espresso martini? Uh, gin fizz. Nice. So just to close, when you look into the future of fashion, mm-hmm. what do you see it being a force for? I mean, I remember speaking to Tim Blanks about this about 10 years ago. And we think that all the big houses are not going to be, they're going to do like tailoring and people are going to start cottoning on to how smaller designers can make even better things than the big brands and like imagine paying like a hundred thousand pound for a dress when you could have a hundred dresses made by extraordinary people you know i'm not saying buy a hundred dresses but you know what i mean i think people will start to realize that they're being ripped off i shouldn't say that but it's true well it is in the way of like the sense of that sort of value of that piece where does the rest of that money go it goes into the marketing i guess to buy more product yeah. so it's that kind of combination that needs to change because mm-hmm. it's still telling us yeah. that we're consumers but we're not we're citizens we're more than that go to artisans go to young designers go and support people that need support you know and they have better ideas Daniel Lismore, a gigantic pleasure to speak to you. You are incredibly individual, such a maverick and a wonderful British ambassador. Thank you for joining Personal Threads. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you.